they think that uh, money has morality what i mean by that is they think that you know if they're good people money will come to them and although that sounds like it's true for the most part it is and that were if that were the case drug dealers would be poor all school teachers would be rich a nurse working in the er would drive a bentley and you and i know that's not the case This is Chris Reynolds and welcome to the Entrepreneur House podcast. The Entrepreneur House is a business accelerator for six and seven figure entrepreneurs creating events and retreats all over the world. Picture yourself spending four weeks with other high level entrepreneurs in the northern mountains of Thailand, October 26th to November 24th, 2017. It will be full of masterminds, workshops, advisors, like-minded entrepreneurs, and of course, some fun adventure. Currently, we are offering a special early bird discount of $400 for only 10 people. Once they're filled, they're gone. Don't wait on this one, guys. If you're ready to take your business to the next level with other successful entrepreneurs, be sure to contact us ASAP at theentrepreneurhouse.com. And now, on to today's episode. Imagine immigrating to a new country with no family, no friends, only $500 in your pocket and a dream. You get a job delivering pizzas for extra money and are forced to sleep in a car. Then over the next 15 years, you build multiple seven-figure businesses. Today's guest is Nitin Shoda, and he is the man that did just that. Nitin is the founder of TherapyNewsletter.com, an automated newsletter and marketing software, InTouchEMR.com, a medical record software, Clinical Contact a software for the medical fields and total activation which is a skincare and nutritional products business Nitin shares with us what it took to build these businesses starting from absolutely nothing he dives into some suggestions about how to increase your brand and image awareness while growing a successful business he will also share about the importance of our relationship with money and how money has no morality it's an incredible episode guys and without further ado let's welcome Nitin Shoda to the show Welcome, Nitin, to the podcast. How are you today? Thank you so much for having me. I'm great. Thank you. Good. And thank you for signing on and joining us today. We're really glad you're here. And I was uh, listening to another podcast about your story, and I was very impressed. And we thought you would be a good fit based on your history for our entrepreneurs that we are interviewing that have built location-independent businesses with over seven figures. And so I, would, I just want to say welcome. We're glad to have you, Nitin. I appreciate the opportunity to be here, and I'll make this as valuable as I can for you, Chris. <laughs> Thank you very much. So mm-hmm. we want to hear briefly about your story, mm-hmm. and I've heard it, and I think it's very impressive. So let's give you the microphone and let you run for a bit about your background and how you got to where you are today. Uh, my name is Nitin Choda. I'm a physical therapist. I'm based in New Jersey. I was actually born and raised in India, and I moved to the U.S. in 2002. I started working as a as a fitness trainer before I got my physical therapy license. You know, been through everything. Uh, been through, you know, uh, living in my car, not having enough, uh, you know, uh, money for food or even for clothes in the brutal winter of New Jersey. Mm. Um, not knowing anyone, starting from scratch, been been through that all the way through to owning multiple businesses with employees all over the world, uh, you know, making seven figures and above uh, over the last, you know, 15 years I've been in the U.S. I think I lived the American dream. Um, been through quite a bit, learned a lot of lessons along the way about life, about entrepreneurship, about the importance of struggle, our relationship with money, what it takes to add value to someone else's life and make money in the process. 
And overall, I would say, you know, like I said, I'm living the American dream and uh, just happy to be here and share share whatever I can. I love stories like yours, Nitin, because I think they're just so inspirational. Do you mind me asking how old you were when you came to the U.S.? Sure, I was 24. Okay, and, and what inspired you to make that move? And you went to New Jersey or New York first? Mm-hmm. Yeah, what was that? Uh, what was that? Was it, had that always been a dream of yours, or, or what was the inspiration behind that? No, actually, it was just a, uh, I just wanted to uh, visit the U.S. to study to get some certifications, some credentials, because you know there's uh, there's a lot of great courses out here in sports and performance enhancement, uh, injury prevention. So I came to pursue those credentials, uh, and then you know as soon as I landed in the U.S., I fell in love and uh, had the opportunity to work. Uh, it kind of uh, a job offer kind of fell into my lap, mm-hmm. and then uh, you know the rest is uh, the rest just happened organically, and uh, my life here began. Did you have any connections when you landed? Zero. Zero. Wow. And mm-hmm. did you have much in savings when you came? Uh, Five hundred dollars. Wow. And it, was that a lot of money for India? India back then. Um, no, not really. I mean, it yeah. was um, uh, it was certainly more value than it's worth today. But it was all the money I had, so it was all the money in the world to me. Yeah. What were the feelings like? I would say those first two weeks, or maybe the month that you landed in the states, you had a little bit of money, no connections. What were some of the the thoughts that went through your mind during that time? Other than a sense of adventure and uh, you know being naive. <laughs> about uh, what lay ahead of me, pretty much nothing. I would say. I, I wish I could tell you there was some game-changing moment, but gosh, it was as mundane as walking the streets of Times Square and saying, "Oh my gosh, this is amazing!" Right. Buying a buying, you know, those those horrible frozen dollar meals that you get, you know. <laughs> yeah. And I ate like a bunch of them, and then I was sitting in the bathroom for several hours <laughs> after that. Uh, just you know, just you know, sort of uh, a sense of wonder. A sense of childlike uh, naivety about about living in the U.S. and uh, you know eating cheap food, um, falling sick, and then getting scammed uh, on the streets of New York. I remember there were these hot dog vendors, and I asked them for directions, and they were like, "You got to buy something before we give you directions." I'm like, "Sure." Here's here's three dollars for a bottle of water, uh-huh. and yeah. then I was like, "Oh, that didn't that didn't sound right," but I did it, and I got scammed. Yeah. Would you say those are happy times? Um, I would say carefree times, uh, not Uh necessarily happy Uh, because I was carefree and, you know, and uh, didn't know what lay ahead of me. Um, So carefree, definitely. Mm -hmm. Uh, As far as happy goes, I would say, you know, definitely interesting. Uh, But, uh, you know, I didn't I didn't even know what I wanted, where I was heading. Yeah. So carefree for sure. That's incredible. So then over the past 15 years, then you've built up a, a few businesses and build them into million-dollar businesses. And so mm-hmm. uh, I'm sure that was an incredible process and you learned a lot. I'd like to learn about the businesses that you built up. Can you share a bit about those? Yeah, sure. The first business, which is uh, you know still my baby, is therapynewsletter.com. Mm-hmm. It's an automated email newsletter marketing software for physical therapists. I'm a physical therapist myself. Uh, then, you know, we started doing business coaching and consulting workshops, which we still do. I enjoy that. Uh, you know, it's where my heart it's where my heart is. Then we set up uh, another piece of software called intouchemr.com, 
which is uh, in, that's intouchemr.com, which is a medical record software for physical therapists. Um, then we have another piece of software called clinicalcontact.com, which is a text messaging software for uh, for doctors and physical therapists. And then you know, and then finally we set up a consumer-facing brand called totalactivation.com, which is a wellness and a fitness philosophy combined with skincare and nutritional products that go hand in hand with the uh, with the philosophy so um you know uh, it's in, it's it's a it's a brand geared towards consumers so yeah overall you know it's been a journey of uh, being a healthcare professional helping other healthcare professionals become more successful and then using my expertise as a as a physical therapist and a fitness professional to create a consumer facing uh, business which has high quality skincare products nutritional supplements and a book uh, called total activation which is intended for for consumers very nice how long did it take you to start a business um, after you landed in the u.s i think it was about uh, three or four years uh you know till i had enough money to find my own you know to get on my feet and 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 know uh what it took to start a business so three or four years and did you have a business background where was your family entrepreneurs my father was uh, my father's been self my father was self-employed all his life mm-hmm. i started uh, working as an entrepreneur back when i was in 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 uh, in uh, middle school actually <clears throat> you know when i was 12 13 years old i uh, back in india you had uh, these uh, these coca cola bottles i'm talking actual bottles not plastic bottles but glass bottles uh-huh. i would i would buy the bottles from the vendor i would you know have sell it sell them to my classmates then my classmates would drink the soda, give me back the glass bottles, which I would then return to the vendor for to get back the deposit. And that deposit was my profit. I remember, and I didn't have the foresight or the common sense to wash those bottles or rinse those bottles in water. So I remember having these empty bottles of Coca-Cola in my school bag amongst all my books. And I had these ants and bugs <laughs> all over my books. Um, did you think when you came to the U.S. that you would start another business or did you have any idea? No, you know, I had no intention of starting a business. I came to the U.S. to work for another company. Mm-hmm. And gosh, I, you know, I'm, I'm a loyal guy. So I probably would have been working for that company today uh, as well had they not let me go. And they let me go because, you know, they weren't doing so well. Mm-hmm. And uh, to me, that was the end of the world at that time. But uh, it kind of, it kind of, you know, started my journey as an entrepreneur. And you know, everything happens for a reason. So no, I had zero intention of uh, you know building all these businesses in the U.S. Uh, I was just happy to you know have the opportunity to work here. Um, and that's uh, that's that was the extent of my ambition back in those days. Now, looking back on that that growth process, is there anything that you would have done differently? Um, the only thing I would have done differently is I would have started certain businesses sooner mm-hmm. because every business, uh, you know, there's a time, there's timing, you know, the, the timing is important in every business. So some businesses which sort of catch the growth curve early tend to explode. And so what I've always done is I've watched what was going on around me and then, and then tried my best to model success. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe I would have started a couple of my businesses, you know, two, three, four years earlier. But then again, there are no regrets because every business I'm running is successful. Uh, it's just that obviously there are other businesses that are way more successful, and they started early and you know did a lot, a lot of things early to get a whole bunch of customers, which I didn't do because I was uh, relatively late to the game. 
other than that uh, you know other than that i'm happy with everything as is now i know that you're you have had quite a bit of experience building and managing remote teams throughout the mm-hmm. world and i'm kind of curious if you could share some tips with our listeners because of a lot of our listeners um have remote teams or are in the process of building those mm-hmm. and curious if you don't mind sharing just your experience building your remote teams and some, maybe two or three tips that you have learned that are very important for that. I think uh, the way you hire employees is very important. Hiring employees based on their personality is much, much more important than hiring them based on their resume. When we hire, you know, we tell people, send us an email telling us the last time you made someone smile. Nice. And people who, people who respond with that email uh, tend to, you know, be the best uh, employees. People who just send us their resume or just uh, send some sort of a generic canned response, we don't even look at them because we know that they haven't read our ad, they don't follow instructions, and, you know, they probably don't understand our culture. Are you enjoying today's episode? I hope so. We're working hard to pick the minds of higher-level entrepreneurs to bring you some applicable tactics for your business. October 26th through November 24th, we will have our most impactful event ever, four weeks in the northern mountains of Thailand with other successful entrepreneurs that have six and seven figures in annual revenue in their businesses. The experience includes private accommodations, workshops, masterminds, and Advisors, high-speed Wi-Fi at a beautiful resort complex. And for our listeners, we have a special $400 early bird discount for only 10 people. Once they're filled, they're gone. So if you're ready to seriously take your business to the next level, contact us at theentrepreneurhouse.com. And now back to the show. Sort of the hiring process itself has to be a filtering mechanism. The hiring process should be a method of uh, people should have to jump through hoops. And I don't say that because, you know, it's hard to get in. It's easy to get in if you just follow our instructions and show us that you can, uh, you know, um, match with our culture. And trust me, that process, that filtering, that gating process uh, has helped us a lot because we've been able to identify the one or two out of every hundred that uh, are a match with us. And and then finding those right people is... Uh, half the battle won when when you're doing remote hiring because remote hiring uh you know the the you don't meet the other person you don't you know uh, you're not face to face with the other person so identifying the right person uh, for a remote as a remote employee becomes twice as important mm-hmm. because you know you have to um you have to make hiring decisions based on the qualities of the person as opposed to you know, since you haven't had the opportunity to meet that person face to face you know now, I'd like to ask you, what was one of the most memorable responses you got from that question when you asked somebody, when was the last time you made somebody smile? You know, sounds really simple and mundane, but uh, one of our female employees said that, you know, her husband came home late at the end of the day. He was pretty tired. He normally cooks his own dinner because he likes food a certain way, but she happened to cook something that he liked for him and that brought a smile to his face. And he was really happy about that. I know that sounds really simple. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for me, that was, uh, you know, that was useful because I can relate to that, uh, having done the same for my wife. So that, that to me stood out. I know you have a, a great and a really interesting view about people and their relationship with money. 
And I was listening to you, I think, on another show where you talked about how people operate with a relationship of money and even talking about the morality of money, which is something I thought was a really great suggestion that you made. So can I ask you a little bit about how people operate with money and their, their relationship with it? You know, I think um, I think uh, there are two types of individuals, broadly speaking, those with a wealth mindset and those with what I call poverty consciousness. Now, uh, an individual with uh, what I call poverty consciousness thinks it's hard to earn money, tends to think that people who have money are bad people or acquired that money in an unscrupulous manner. Uh, only feels he or she is worth a certain amount of money. In other words, that person does have a glass ceiling, a financial glass ceiling built up inside their mind, Um, tends to actually feel uncomfortable when they make more money, uncomfortable to the point where they actually waste that money or give it away. It's just something they, they, they they don't have the financial... Uh, or the emotional capability to deal with lots of money. It's just it's not something they can even fathom, let alone uh, invest wisely or reinvest into a business. It's just not part of their DNA. And finally, they think that uh, money has morality. What I mean by that is they think that you know if they're good people, money will come to them. And although you know although that sounds like it's true, for the most part, it isn't because, like I've said before, if that were if that were the case, you know, drug dealers would be poor. People mm-hmm. who sell uh, pornography would be poor. Uh, if that was the case, all pastors would be rich. All school teachers would be rich. All uh, you know, heck, your librarian would be rich. Uh, you know, a nurse working in the ER would uh, would would drive a Bentley. And you and I know that's not the case. So uh, on the other hand, individuals with uh, what I call uh, as a wealth mindset, uh, they have no glass ceiling in their in their in their mind. You know, for them, when they make more money, they they make the money work for them. Whether it's investing it um, in real estate, the stock market, another business, whatever, um, they they um, they actually find ways to make more money as opposed to just save money. Now, do they want to save money? Sure, they do. But they're more focused on how can they make more money. They understand the va- they understand that they have to do things to attract money towards them. And they know that these things are not necessarily related to, um, uh, you know, the type of people they are. I'm not saying, you know, people with wealth consciousness are bad people. Absolutely not. I'm saying that people with wealth consciousness simply focus on creating the circumstances that cause money to get attracted to them. Uh, you know, they create tremendous value. They create these amazing companies. They create these amazing products or they offer amazing service or they, they have this incredible creativity that that makes people go, oh, my God, I want to pay for this. And so that's what uh, that's what they focus on. And this is a big one. They understand that they have to be well-known or famous or, you know, highly credible to be able to attract money towards them because at the end of the day, people who are well-known uh, tend to attract money towards them. I don't know if you if you heard about this, but George Clooney recently sold his uh, tequila brand yeah. for about a billion dollars with a B. Yeah. Now, I was actually being interviewed by uh, someone else who's a food critic and, I, and she's like, oh yeah, I've had his tequila. 
and I asked her, so how was the tequila? She said, she said it's you know it's mid range, <laughs> it's not excellent, it's not excellent, but it's not bad either. Right. Now, I, I'm not I'm not trying to diss George Clooney. I, you know, um, he deserves every dollar he gets because you know he's been smart about how he's positioned himself. The reason he sold his brand for a billion dollars is because his brand is well known. He's famous within te- you know within the circle of tequila lovers, and right. it's not just because he has the best tequila. And uh, so, you know, being well-known, being famous within the audience that you're selling to uh, affects the flow of money. And finally, and this may sound really dumb, but it's true, money moves to those who ask for it without any feeling of awkwardness or or weirdness or guilt. Mm. Um, and I think when you do, when you ask for money independent of any, you know, like, like I said, awkwardness or weirdness or guilt, uh, people sense it and then they're more likely to give it to you. Yeah. But if you ask for money and you go, oh, you know, that's going to be $20, you know, people, <laughs> people sense that and then they're less likely to give you the money. So I think, um, I think as long as, um, you're confident in the ask and of course you've got to deliver a good service cause you know, we're value is exchanged for money then you should be fine but i think a lot of people they provide the value because the intentions are good and honorable and pure and clean but they just feel physically uncomfortable asking for money which by the way is tied to all the other factors that i mentioned earlier they have a poverty consciousness Uh, when the other person senses that they are less likely to give you money which is why a lot of people who should be getting a lot more money they don't get that money you know the best the best physical therapist or the best chiropractor or the best teacher doesn't make the most money. In fact, quite the contrary. How many of us know of other individuals in our profession who are not as talented as we are? Yeah. But they make more money. Guess what? They have a better relationship with money. They ask for it independent of guilt. They are more famous and that the quality of their product is not necessarily better. In fact, uh, the more successful you become, and the more famous you become, the quality of your service becomes less important and your perception in the market becomes that much more important. Case in point, George Clooney. Yeah. Uh, the quality of the tequila was less important than the perception of the quote-unquote George Clooney tequila brand, which was bought by the Johnny Walker brand of companies for a billion dollars because they're buying the perception uh, and he's getting paid for the perception. So again, the more successful you are, the bigger you grow, the more important your position to the market and the less important the quality of your service. Does that mean I'm suggesting that you, you know, sell crap? Of course not. (laughs) But I am saying that uh, if you focus on perfection, uh, then, you know, that's not going to give you the kind of success you need. But if you focus on, you know, uh, obviously value first combined with, you know, strategic, a strategic mission, a strategic uh, strategy, which positions you, as a thought leader, as a famous person, then you're likely to, uh, you know, then you're likely to uh, be be much more successful. I hope uh, I hope that makes sense. That makes really good sense. And there's another analogy that I've heard used. A lot of people that go to wine tastings in Napa Valley, you know, they'll slap a hundred dollar price tag on a five dollar bottle of wine and the people tasting it think it's just amazing because you know they're in napa valley in the environment and it's just Mm -hmm. a brand name 
And I think numerous studies have been done on that where the the perception affects everything. So I do want to ask you, you know, a lot of our listeners are online entrepreneurs and say somebody has a software business or a SaaS Mm -hmm. business, right? And they're doing pretty well for themselves, maybe high five figures or six figures, and they really want to Mm -hmm. work hard to get to that seven figure level. Mm -hmm. What would be some tips for them to increase, I guess you could say their fame or their reputation amongst their peers in that niche to Mm -hmm. reach that next level? Write more articles, um, you know, get published in peer reviewed journals, do YouTube videos, um, get on podcasts like this, because, you know, I mean, let's face it, one of your listeners listening to this podcast now thinks, you know, I know what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully I do. Yeah. Hopefully I do. Hopefully I do. But you get the point. Um, the more, um, the more you're out there, whether it's art, you know, whether it's written content, um, whether it's contributing to magazines, publications, getting on podcasts, doing YouTube videos, uh, that puts you out there and mentally, we know that if we Google someone's name, because, you know, everyone's pretty smart these days, you know, people can Google someone's name and find out a ton of stuff about them, right? Mm-hmm. So um, if you're able to Google someone's name and, you know, find that they've written an article here, they've written an article there, they've this YouTube video, that YouTube video, they've been on this podcast and, you know, heck, they've been featured in this magazine. All of that stuff is good stuff because now that, uh, now that validates uh, or that reinforces any pre-existing opinions they have, about you. So uh, get out there, start writing articles. There's this membership organization, uh, Chris, it's called YEC. That's, um, I believe it's called uh, Young Entrepreneur Council. I think the website is yec.co. I believe they charge $1,400 a year. And uh, YEC is meant for entrepreneurs, I believe under the age of 40, making more than a million dollars a year. And YEC actually, you know, um, you can contribute articles. They have partnerships with Forbes, Inc. magazine, stuff like that, where if you contribute articles, you can be picked up by those. uh, When I say picked up, I mean, you know, you can be mentioned in those publications and that, uh, you know, now starts to give you credibility. So then you can legitimately say as seen on, uh, well, you know, as mentioned in blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can even work with a PR company that charges you a small fee each time they they mention you or your company on TV. There's lots of ways to get the get you know uh, word out there. There's you know reviews that people can write about you or your service on Google if you're a physical location. Uh, you've got to make sure you create uh, a presence which can be easily validated online because these days if there's something positive, you can find it online. If there's something negative. If there's a complaint, if there's, you know, uh, heck, I don't know, a lawsuit, you can, you know, just Google someone's name and find out online. So, you know, the the, the plus side is everything's transparent these days. Um, so, you know, just uh, create that online presence so people can verify it. Good point. So you have a book called Total Activation uh, and mm-hmm. it's the five-step fitness mantra. And uh-huh. do you want to share with us a little bit about what your book's about? Yeah, Chris, now uh, for me, um, over the last uh, 15 years, I've had a chance to compare, you know, Eastern culture, which is India, because I spent the first 24 years of my life in India, mm-hmm. with Western culture, uh, America. There are a lot of things we as Americans can learn from the East, and there are a lot of things we have access to as Americans. The best food, the best supplements, you know, the best products, 
you know, the best kind of technology, gadgets, you know, um, that we have access to that, you know, honestly don't exist in other parts of the world because from a technological standpoint, uh, you know, we, uh, you know, we have so much going on. Uh, in fact, if anything, there's too much stuff going on. So I wrote a book called Total Activation, which is a philosophy. It's a simple philosophy. It's not a trend. It's not, you know, a, a fad, a gimmick. It's not something that will be forgotten. The, the total activation philosophy is recommends five areas of balance in life. Emotional, physical, social, spiritual, and intellectual. Uh, the acronym for it is EPSSI. E for emotional. Do things that make you happy. Whether it's, you know, taking a break in the middle of the day, going for a drive, you know, just uh, taking, uh, you know, taking a break in the middle of the day and just doing, you know, closing your eyes, doing some meditation, whatever it might be, something to make you happy, something that sort of feeds your sense of happiness. P for physical, whether it's some physical exercise every day or, you know, eating healthy every day, something to take care of yourself physically. S for social, m you know, make it a point to engage with people who make you happy and disengage with people who, you know, add stress to your life. Very important. As for spiritual, um, pay it forward. Uh, understand that, you know, you're part of a greater good, whether it's, you know, you uh, being religious or you uh, helping someone else in need. Just, you know, spiritually uh, try and establish a larger meaning to your life. Maybe it's just, you know, doing whatever you can to create a better future for your kids, whatever it is. Just try and spiritually uh, understand that, you know, life is more about the here and the now. And finally, I for intellectual. Do something to challenge your brain, your brain cells, whether it's doing a crossword puzzle, reading a book, or something as complex as, you know, learning a musical instrument, heck, even learning a new language. Forcing uh, an improvement or trying to improve the sense of balance emotionally, physically, socially, spiritually, and intellectually, even if you spend... A couple minutes a day on each of these five areas, and the book has specific examples, you, you'll be living what I call a totally activated life. And the, the nutritional supplements and the skincare products, uh, Chris, uh, essentially feed the total activation philosophy because they help activate the best version of you from the inside out. Because total activation is not just about how you approach life, but it's about what you put on your body and in your body. Nitin, the EPSSI principle, is that something you've been practicing since you arrived in the States or is that in building business or did you learn that over the years? I learned it over the years um, and I've applied it in my personal life and my business life as best as I could and I still do to this day. And do you apply that daily, like work on each one of those aspects every single day or do you divide that up maybe within a week or a month or how's that look for you i try and make a little progress in each of those areas once a week okay and do you write your a goal down to do that at the beginning of the week or do you just take some time out and say oh i need to work on this one and i'll go do this today yeah i mean it's uh um i don't i don't i don't have a written process uh -huh. because EPSSI is different for each of us. Uh, so uh, the book obviously has a set, uh, defined set of, you know, uh, strategies for the each component. For me personally, you know, life, uh, and this isn't just for me, but for every single person, you know, I have a two-year-old now. So um, for me, EPSSI is different now than it was before the birth of my son. You know, life changes, right? Yeah. So for me, for me, quite frankly, 
uh, emotional balances. Honestly, hugging my son, best thing in the world, physical. <laughs> now that you know, I'm running several businesses, have a two-year-old, my 72-year-old mom lives with us. It's actually hard to find time to work out. So, you know, I got to take the time to, you know, do something, something physical every day. Social, you know, fortunately, uh, I surround myself with people who, you know, sort of make me happy, whether it's personally or professionally spiritual. For me, you know, I, I love helping other business owners because I'm fundamentally an entrepreneur and, you know, a crazy person at heart. So I want to <laughs> you know, help, help other, you know, renegades like me and intellectually, um, you know, intellectually, quite frankly, I'm learning new things every day, you know, just interacting with my son. It's amazing, you know, what they say, you know, these days he goes, I need that. I need that mm -hmm. whenever he looks at something and I'm like, well, you know, I doubt you know what you need because I'm 40 years old. I don't know what I need. <laughs> so, uh, so, you know, there's uh, EPSSI is different for each one of us. As you can see, my EPSSI revolves around uh, my child, but your EPSSI might revolve around, you know, I don't know. Your spouse, heck, yeah. it may even revolve around your business. Uh, it may revolve around or your boyfriend or your girlfriend or, or something in your life that, you know, gives you meaning. So EPSSI is different for each of us. And so for me, you know, it doesn't have to be something that you necessarily write down, although that's definitely better. For me, uh, my EPSSI changes every week and I make sure that I try and, you know, improve myself in each of those five areas once a week because for me that's sustainable. We each got to find what's sustainable for us. And for some, for somebody listening out there, it might be writing things down every day, which is awesome. Do it. For me, it's once a week. And uh, I know because, you know, I, I've written the philosophy. I live it. So it's once a week. Incredible wisdom, my friend. Nitin, I think we're going to have to wrap up there. Is there anything else that you would like to share with the listeners before we sign off? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, if any if any listeners uh, want to visit our website, it's totalactivation.com. Again, that's totalactivation.com. You can uh, learn more about our book, our products on the website. Uh, and if any of you send us an email uh, through the contact us form, and if you mention, you know, the entrepreneur house, then uh, if you have an entrepreneur related question, I'd be happy to answer it. It might be not be right away, but you know I'll get to it. My, your, the, my team will forward it to me. That's my way of thanking uh, thanking Chris for the opportunity to be here today, and my way of paying it forward. And if any of you want to buy our products, mention the Entrepreneur House. We'll get you guys a discount so that you can try some of our total activation products. Incredible. And Nitin, we have to give you a huge thank you for giving that to our listeners. And thank you for coming on the show and sharing your tips and your tricks and your wisdom with us. So thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And listeners, we're going to sign off there for today. Thank you guys for joining us once again. And we'll see you all on the next episode. Goodbye, everybody. The Entrepreneur House is a business accelerator for six and seven figure entrepreneurs. Imagine spending an extended period of time with other successful entrepreneurs working together and growing your business. Day to day you interact with other driven and smart business people. Spending an extended period of time around them alters your business and your mentality around business. Goals are set, business grows, new partnerships develop, greater profit margins are achieved, the productivity skyrockets for attendees, and you get to have an incredible adventure while doing 
doing it. This year, our main event will be held in Chiang Mai, Thailand. It is four weeks from October 26th to November 24th and held for six and seven figure entrepreneurs only. It will be full of workshops, masterminds, advisors, co-working, and fun weekend social events. Be sure to check out the details at theentrepreneurhouse.com as soon as possible. This event will fill up fast. For those of you that are interested and have some questions, be sure to contact us through theentrepreneurhouse.com forward slash contact. We will respond as soon as possible. For now, saludos from somewhere in the world.